I thrilled to be able to enjoy working with a congregation that has such great young people. And when I say really young, I'm thinking about those little ones who come out and they're so enthusiastic. You love to hear the, the noise of children because you know that it's going to be a congregation that has many years in its future. And then I like to see the older folks and I like to see those people who are really tough. And I had told Brother Vernon, I was going to mention if he made it tonight, that he had hip replacement surgery on Monday, is here tonight. Uh, I don't think he wanted Brother Elmer Rutledge to outdo him. And, uh, but uh, Brother Sane, there's so many men here that have shown toughness in physical life. And there is a group of folks here that are as tough spiritually as you could ask for. I mean, you're, you're dedicated and love the Lord, and I appreciate you for it. And I appreciate the encouragement from the series of lessons on favorite Bible passages. These are passages that to many of you have been ones that you have held near and dear to your hearts for many years. Tonight, we're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. And there are some books that challenge us to think, and Ecclesiastes is one of them. I dare say that as I read through the Bible, the writings of Solomon perhaps challenge me to think as much as any group of writings that we have in the Bible. And when you come to some passages, they summarize man's purpose in life. Why was I born? Why am I here? What does God want me to do? Why did this world become a part of God's creation? It's all about God creating man, saying, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And then the focus from that is what does God want me to be? To fear Him and to keep His commandments. That's the all of it. There's so much here that challenges us and inspires us. Well, tonight I want to look at two things. Many of the lessons may have three points, four points. Tonight's only going to have two. And what it is going to do is beginning with verse 9 and going through verse 11 is going to look at first of all the counsel that comes from an inspired man. One who has God's message put in his mind and in his heart and revealed. And then we want to look at the culmination of God's plan for man's life. Let's begin by looking at verses 9 through 12. If you want to keep your Bibles open, we're going to look at this section of Scripture. And moreover, because the preacher was wise... He still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright. Words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. And the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of the making of many books there is no end, and much study is 
is wearisome to the flesh. Now for just a moment, I'd like for you to think about why Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He certainly had a purpose for it. And he deems himself or calls himself the preacher. Now, we could discuss, as we did when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, what it means to be the preacher, the one who calls for everybody to come and to hear the message. But here he is one who is announcing not just his own ideas, he's announcing God's message. In fact, let me suggest to you that there are three things that I see within him being a preacher. Preaching involves the presentation of truth seeking a conclusion. You know, when a preacher gets up here, if he's a preacher that serves God, it is his role to present truth to the people. The second thing that you notice is the preaching must be persuasive for the people to accept a conclusion. Solomon here is trying to make it clear, I am trying to provide you words to persuade you to serve God and keep his commandments. And then preaching calls for practice. You listen with your ears, but then after you leave, there should be something of the lesson that goes home with you, something that God has said in his word that resonates and sticks with you and changes you and influences you. And me, as we try to live our weekly lives serving God. Well, let's notice how verses 9 through 12 fix on that goal more specifically. He talks about that this preacher is here to present knowledge and to present truth. He said he taught knowledge. You know, teaching knowledge involves facts and Sometimes to some people, facts tend to be boring. But if these facts are relevant to your life and they have some meaning to things that you're interested in, you know, there's facts like how much money is in your bank account. I'm sure most of you are or should be interested in things such as that. There are facts that are important in life and Part of the job of the preacher is to say, when I present to, truth to you, here's how the truth applies to you and how it fits with you. And then he says, words of truth. Words of truth. Whenever I hear those specific words themselves, I always think about the little magazine that Brother Gus Nichols edited for many years. I know when I moved here, the congregation was receiving bundles of the words of truth. On that masthead was John 8 in verse 32. You know it very well, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You pair that with what Jesus prayed in John 17. Sanctify them according to your truth. Your word is truth. You put those two together. God's word is truth. That man needs in his life. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. It says God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. If that's what God wants, then what should the preacher do? Speaking of Solomon. Well, I need to present to the people words of truth. Or you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 
verses 10 through 12, and now I see from my side what does God expect from me with regards to these words of truth. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perished, because they did not receive a love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, God expects me on my side to love the truth. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We live in an unrighteous world, a world that is caught up in doing things that are wrong. Truth is the answer. The second part of this verses 9 through 11 revolves around the prioritizing, I'm not going to be able to say it, uh, putting truth with matters of priority. And when you look at specifically, he said, I sought out and set in order. Now think about that for just a moment. Sought out and set in order. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about Solomon said, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this, and here's what I found out. All is striving after wind. You know, Solomon said, then I put it in order. I arranged it. For somebody who's a preacher, that just resonates with me. You have one point, you have a second point, you have sub-points. In other words, you put it in order. Why do you put it in order? So people can grasp it. They can wrap their minds around it. But you know, there's value in organization. Logical progression. You move from point A to point B, from point B to point C, and you see how the lesson develops. Solomon does that. Luke 1 and verse 3 it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of the things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. He said, I wanted to take the message of Christ, all that he began both to do and to teach, and to put it in an orderly account. That's the reason why I like studying the book of Luke. It's just very plain, very clear, very organized. And then he said... Pleasant words, or in fact, the translation here is acceptable words. If you study original words, your iPad or whatever will let you bring up the original words. You can look up that word there for acceptable. And it's pleasant words, good words, the kind of words that you would use to get people to listen to you. For instance, Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let your speech be with grace. Speak nice to people. Use acceptable words. Use pleasant words. Or Proverbs chapter 16, verses 21 through 24. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increases learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. The words of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Folks, think with me for just a minute. 
Do you want somebody to speak nice to you? Pleasant words to you? Will you listen to a person who has your attention and has good words to say to you? Then the perfect word. You know, he says, what was written was upright, words of truth. And when I go to James 1 and verse 25, he says, He who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and continues in it, not being a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The perfect law of liberty. I'm trying to find not just any words, the preacher says, Solomon, but I'm trying to find upright words, words of truth. Then he uses an illustration. Goads and well-driven nails. You know, a lot of times when we talk about illustrations, if you don't live in that kind of environment and that kind of culture, you really don't get them. If you ask people today, what is a goad? In fact, I, I almost was going to ask some of these young guys if they knew what a goad was when we came in. But let me tell you, these two are pointed objects. One of the pointed objects is to stimulate. The other one is to stabilize. You take one of them, a goad, and you use it to prod an animal. It's like a sharp stick. And when the animal wants to go a direction that you don't want him to go, you, you stick him with this goad and it turns him. It is meant to stimulate him to go in the right direction. But also, the well-driven nails is something that a shepherd would have. Notice he says, given by one shepherd. Shepherds would use that to drive or to guide the animals. But when it came time to place their tents or to stake things, they would use a well-driven nail to stabilize something. Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think the, the shepherd here is the Lord. In Acts 9 and verse 5, Paul uses the goads. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul or Saul, I am trying to guide you, direct you. And these goads that you're kicking at are going to direct you in the right direction here. Then it is preferred... I want you to look with me specifically as we look at this verse here. There's two different interpretations of the way the original word could be found in uh, this verse, verse 12. He said, Further, my son, be admonished by these of the making of books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. The New English translation says, Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. You see the word further, he's, he's, he's referring it to what has been presented earlier. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study is exhausting to the body. I think what he's trying to drive home here is the contrast between what comes from God and what comes from man. What comes from God are words of truth. What comes from man are the opinions of man. Let me illustrate it to you. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, the American standard that I memorized years ago. Now these things, brethren, I have in a figure 
transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to go beyond the things which are written. You don't go beyond what God has already said, and that's exactly what Solomon is saying here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 12. Titus 1 and verse 14 says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn men from the truth. As I listen to the preacher, Solomon, as he speaks with inspiration, I listen carefully and I say, I don't want to go further than that. don't want to go beyond that. Because when I get to the making of books, people there are going to be people everywhere making books. And you can weary yourself to death, but if you've got one thing to listen to, you listen to God's Word and let Him be the speaker. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Which leads me now to the passage that was assigned to me, verses 13 and 14. The culmination. Let's listen carefully to the scriptures. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment. Including every secret thing whether good or evil. There's a sense of finality about this. Let us hear the conclusion. You know, one thing that I observe is that most of you have been here long enough to know the way my slides look. You know what? The preview slide says this is going to be what we're going to study. And whenever you see the conclusion slide at the top, eyes open, Books come out of the racks, people set up, straighten up the children. It's time. You're getting, there's a finality to it. You know the end is near. The conclusion means the end. Nothing else to be said. The whole matter has been presented. Now think about that for just a moment. In Acts 20, verse 20, Paul would say how I kept back nothing that was helpful and proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. He's trying to say there wasn't anything else for me to say. I'd already said it all when I came to your house, when I taught you publicly. Verse 26 and 27, Therefore I testify to you that this day I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. When you get to the end, you better have said what you're going to say. You better sum it up right there. Solomon says, let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter. Well, what is it? Fear God and keep His commandments. I could take a lot of passages to do this. I'm only going to take a couple. I like the one that is found in Malachi chapter 3. Uh, I've been trying to study some of the Old Testament prophets with the thoughts in mind. I would preach another series of lessons. And I will tell you, Malachi has captured my attention lately. So that's why this one comes from Malachi. 
In chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Then those that feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. Well, what a theme verse that is. You think about people who speak to one another. They speak good words. They talk about God. They talk about His Word. The Lord's listening. He's hearing what's going on. So God has a book of remembrance written. And Here's this person. He fears me. He meditates on my name. He thinks about what will please me. He talks to me in prayer. Psalm 33, verse 8, 34, verse 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. And then Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. God wants us to honor, to glorify, to exalt, to praise His name. And when we do that, we are fearing God and keeping His commandments. That's all. That's it. But then He reminds us God's going to look at that. He's going to look at the future because in verse, he goes on to say that God will bring every secret thing into judgment. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 17. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. God's got it all scheduled out. There's going to be a time when Jesus is going to return, the trumpets are going to sound, the dead are going to be raised, and we're going to stand before the judgment bar of God. Verse 11, or verse 9 of chapter 11, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you all the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. When Paul wrote the Romans and the Corinthians, he reminded them both of this by saying, There will be a day in which God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. The secrets. God's going to know everything that we have done, including the things done in the corner, and the things that we have thought about. Chapter 4, verse 5 1 Corinthians, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, reveal the counsels of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. God's the only perfect judge because he's the only one who sees it all. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will. In the end... All that will matter is how one has served God. Now this is the conclusion. Solomon viewed everything under the sun. That phrase, under the sun, refers to this life while we're alive. 
And he concluded whether it was the acquiring of wealth or the entertaining of oneself or all the wisdom that you could get in life. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity and striving after wind. What if you are the richest person in the world? The smartest, the most talented person in the world. You know, you can play the guitar for the lead uh, band that's most popular today. You'll be a has-been tomorrow. What if you're the richest man today? You won't be before long. Someone else will take your place. Matthew 16, verse 26 says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Folks, here's the bottom line of the great value of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. You're worth a lot to God. God has sent his word to you, his counsel, in verses 9 through 12. And then in verses 13 and 14, he says, here's what I want you to be. Are you that? Are you a dedicated, loyal follower of God? If you are not, if you're not a Christian tonight, you need to repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be baptized. We discussed that this morning in our lesson. And if you are a child of God and you're carrying sin with you, it's time to lay that burden down. It's time to fear God and keep His commandments. Would you come while we stand inside?